Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I feel like you should really appreciate your come up. It's the most romantic part of your career. When you get past all the bullshit, then you're like, really, this was great. And it did happen for a reason, and the universe did make it go this way. A lot of the relationships that we put ourselves through are very temporary. People come in your life for a reason. Those reasons are the stories that you tell to other people. I think it's such a beautiful time right now where people are really being encouraged to celebrate their culture and celebrate their differences and celebrate things that we've maybe been made to feel ashamed of. Yo, what's up? What's up? It's Sean Leon. Hi, it's Myrna. What's up, guys? This is Khalid. Hey, what's up? It's Ali. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. Hey, welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. My name is Cheddar. I'm the host and founder of The Come Up Show. This is part two of the best of 2018. I hope you checked out part one. We're getting a lot of love for it. Email, social media. Thank you for listening. And in part one, we ended at a Nate Husser. Part two, we take it everywhere from the legends like Mishimi, uh, Maestro Fresh West to the up and coming artists like K Forest, Shad. And I'm really excited who we end off to part two of the best of 2018 that come show podcast. Let's go. <laughs> Lou Phelps is an artist, producer, DJ from Montreal. He's also K Trinata's brother. And he talks about being discounted just because he's K Trinata's brother. Lou Phelps. Someone from like high school hate on me. What did I say? Because he's like, oh, you changed your name again. Or, like, some dumb shit like that. Mm. Like, why would you, like, you know. He got mad oh, about that. Yeah, he's like, oh, you'll always be Katrinata's little brother and blah, blah. Yeah, so what? You know? And then what? You know? I don't, I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. Mm. I'm not going, I'm not going. You know what I'm saying? You can hate on me if you want, but I'm I'm good right now. I'm living good. Mm. You know? I could do a bunch of shit that you can't do just because I'm doing music and my music is working. You know? You can't, you can't knock that. I got an album coming out. I dropped an album. What can you do? You know what I'm saying? You didn't, you didn't fucking sign to a label or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm cool. Just mm-hmm. let the haters hate. It is what yeah. it is. I guess, yeah. So I guess that's another thing as well, too. Yeah, you being K. Trinata's brother. Mm-hmm. You're his younger brother? Yep. Okay, you being K. Trinata's brother. Uh, you know, what do you say to people who say, oh, he's he's only where he's at or whatever, or his brother's giving him the best beats and all these connections are because of his brother and... He I mean, does, does. At this point, I'm yeah. like, whatever. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. At this yeah, point, I'm assuming I, I really you've, you've obviously you've heard those sentiments before. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, like, yeah. Back in the days, but yeah. like now, my my, like I feel like back then I used to think that like I used to be angry about it or I I used to be like phased about it or whatever. But now I'm like, mm. whatever. You could be mad if you want, but I'm still I'm still here, and yeah. you're still where you are. So like. Mm. The people that are successful will never talk about me in any type of way about, oh, he's just there because he's Kitchenau's brother or whatever. Yeah. It's only the people that are jealous or the people that want to bring me down because of my blessing, you know? Exactly. Like, Kay's, a, Kay's a, I'm not going to lie, Kay's a musical genius and, you know, I can't do nothing about it. So, like, why would I be mad about him giving me the best beats? Or him, <laughs> like, why would I be mad about, like having an exposure because he's giving me the best beats or like or just because he's my brother you know i don't care mm-hmm. it's like all right cool great i'm living life mm-hmm. how about you you should focus on your life and try to make it where i am mm-hmm. you know. well the important thing as well too is yes you may be in that position or whatever but you got to show and prove yourself yeah yeah, yeah. you no. can't hide uh, right. Somebody that sucks or whatever, you gotta do your thing. Yeah, that's being in this position. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah, like, that's why I, I got an album dropping. That's why, I like, like if I w- if I actually sucked, I don't think I would have had an album to drop, and like I don't think I would have had meetings with Apple Music and have it have me have like thousands of plays on Spotify and all that. You know, mm. if I would have actually sucked. Yeah, there's a bunch of rappers that do suck and that are making it big or whatever, but. Imagine, like, imagine this. There's, like, in, in Toronto only, there's, what's the population? Like, the GTA is, like, four or five million, like, all Four or five million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the yeah. four or five million, there's yeah. at least one million rappers in GTA, for sure. Guaranteed. There's a lot, bro. Yeah. It's overwhelming how many, for me. <laughs> and how many rappers are there in the GTA that are actually popping? Not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 
So I made I made it through. I don't know how many rappers there are in Montreal. I don't know the population to be honest, but all I gotta say is, if I made it through Montreal and I'm getting heard worldwide, and I saw the stats today on Apple, on the at the Apple thing, like you can't really knock my like you can't say I'm not I'm not good. You can't say like yeah I know I'm not to the level of K. Of course, K is a musical genius or whatever, but mm. you can't you can't you can't be like nah he's not that good or blah blah. It is what it is. Mm. I got, I'm I'm good where I am right now. Mahalia is all the way from across the pond in the UK, and she told me how she dealt with being a mixed girl, how she was too black in a small town, and then when she moved to a larger city, she was considered too white. Mahalia. So you're from a small town. It's called uh, pronounced Leicester. Yes, okay. and then I'm from, well, so Leicester's the city, and I'm from a little town called Syston. Syston. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so you were like, what, one of three black girls in, in, in school? Yeah. And then you moved to Birmingham, and then they thought you were too white, right? Yes. So you must have been confused. Can, like, how, what kind of effect did that have on you? I was super confused. I mean, <clears throat> the culture and, like, the way that, you know, it's just, like, just, just for anyone listening, like, the way that British culture is, is super different to here. And, like, the way that, like, we divide is so different to here. I Well, I found just from personal experience. And the thing about the home, and I, and I love Leicester and I love Birmingham, but I, there's a, there's a confusion, I find, with, with how we are dividing each other. And it's, like, for me... You know, as a kid, like, so I have a black mum. My my mum's family Jamaican and I've got a white dad. My dad's family are British with Irish lineage. And so my whole life, I was always really black identified. So when I was in school, the kids used to hate it, as in my first school. So my white friends, they didn't used to hate it, but they didn't used to get it, which was fine because they never had to really understand it, but they never used to get it at all. So then I grew up in, like... A white town, you know. I still am very, very, very in tune with my black side. My like, like my mum's my best friend, and my, my grandma who lives in Jamaica is is one of my, like one of the one of the loves of my life. And it's mm. like when I then went to Birmingham and I had this kind of nice Leicester accent, the girls just didn't get it, and that was like I was cool with that, but I just wasn't. I'm somebody, I'm always cool with people coming with my character. Like, if you come for my character, it's fine. If you don't like my character, that's fine. If you come for my music, that's fine. I have a real problem with, 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 with people coming for my colour because I can't change it. That's my genetics. And so I think when I got to high school, I was like, why are you calling me white girl now? And it was just mad. It was like, whoa, I've just spent my whole life battling these people who are calling me, you know, derogatory and racist terms. And now I'm at a new school and I'm being called white girl. So for me, I was like, what? What do you want me to do? Because I'm just being myself. And, yeah, and I felt like I was just being picked apart for it mm. for a while. So what did you do? Like, how did you handle it? Or how did you, yeah? I think you just get over it, you know? Mm. I think you just, you know, you know who you are. Mm. And I remember there were girls in my school and they used to talk back to her at me and be like, she can't understand. And I used to laugh in my mind because I was like, what do you mean? Like... Like, it's just, it's that whole thing of, like... Would you talk Patois back at the time? No, because I can't. And I would okay. never pretend like I could. But you understood it or you didn't understand? Totally understood it. Yeah. And so for me, I used to find it really funny because I was like, well, my, well, my, my mum talks Patois all the time. Most of my family talk Patois. So what do you want me to, like, should I pretend like I don't understand? It was just this weird conflict, right? And for me, you know, I think you have to be yourself. And then eventually people will understand you. And you also have to talk about that stuff because I feel like, you know, I feel like people should be talking about it because it's happening, especially in the UK. In the UK, I think there's a lot of confusion with how we divide ourselves in colour. Now, in my eyes, I'm like, well, why are we dividing anyway? Um, but I just feel like there's this strange line between like, well, you're not black enough, but you're too white and you're not white enough and you act like a black person, and it's like, whoa. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I have a 10-year-old brother, and I'm like, I don't want you to have that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes sense. And I, I thought you think, you, you said that it's like, you think it's unique to the UK, but it sounds like stuff that, especially people, uh, really? friends that I know that are mixed, you know, who are maybe racially ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, people, yeah, I think they get similar treatment to that as well, too. 
and a, a it's just it's yeah. just it's just confusing because yeah. it makes you confused especially if you identify as black because for me i grew up always identifying as black so oh. when i had kids saying but you're not black you're mixed i was like what do you mean like yeah my 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 i'm of dual heritage yes but i'm black and so i don't know but i think it's a struggle that i'm really happy that i went through that you're really happy that you went through why because now i'm because because now i'm so in tune with everything and i'm able to talk about it i find a lot of my a lot of my friends can't can't talk about those issues like they won't even get into a conversation about it whereas i could talk about it because i feel like if you experience something firsthand or even just watch something happen firsthand mm -hmm. then you can speak on it and mm -hmm. you can say your opinion and say how you feel about things and yeah. yeah well people can as now as hopefully as uh, society becomes more open and 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 mingles together and there's more mixed kids that they're, they're gonna definitely connect with that and right. i think they're always like yeah like i think there's that confusion of like yeah you're too white or too black depending on who you hang out with yeah. and people are mean in high school man. yeah <laughs> this is the especially thing. girls you girls are really mean guys are like we get in a fight then we're buddies you girls have psychological war games <laughs> like chess i don't know what you like i think this is the <laughs> this is the thread that we're definitely missing is that high school is just horrible like i don't really have it a lot now i just had it in school awesome <laughs> khadija Lopez talks about how Toronto has so much hidden talent that it's actually stressful. Khadija Lopez. Toronto has so much hidden talent that yeah. it's actually stressful. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's Tell stressful. me about that. Yeah, because I feel like everywhere I like I'm always discovering Toronto music that's what it is like you, you know you have the people who are local and like quote-unquote locally known so we have those people but then there's just like so many people that might not have the spotlight on them or you know just they're underground they haven't really released anything yet but you know they're dope like I feel like every songwriter slash producer knows like 10 artists that are dope that don't have anything out yet you know yeah. what I mean so it's like there's just so much creatives out there not even just like artists just creatives what's the stressful part of it the stressful, <laughs> the stressful part of it is like not everybody I feel like is going to eventually have like that voice. You know what I mean? I feel like not everybody is going to go as far as you might want them to go. You know, you might hear someone and be like, oh, my gosh, I love their music. I'm a fan. But because of, like, everything that's going on in Toronto and all the music that's going and, like, you know, of course, like, there's politics as well. Like, all the politics that go on, you, it's kind of, you have this feeling of, like, uh, I don't know where they're going to be in, like, you know what I mean, five years. Like, mm -hmm. you want to be their fan and you want to see the come up, but it doesn't happen for everyone, it you know? Yeah, so that's I, the I, stressful part. That's the like, stressful yeah, part because yeah. it's, like, I want to be a fan of, like, I want everybody to rise in the same way. But that's kind of not how Toronto's set up. <laughs> I know him by Fundament, but he now goes by Tim North. Uh, when he popped up on my Spotify, I was like, yo, who is this guy? And I look him up. I was like, what, Tim? And he talks about rebranding. Tim North. As far as, like, changing my name up, it's really funny because, like, I actually tried to go by my, my legal last name is Stewart. I tried to go by Tim Stewart. If you, if anyone would ever see all the, like the later posters, like when I was doing the Action Bronson, what we did one with Fashion. I don't even remember Fashion. We brought him up, and like my name was like Tim Stewart on the poster, but no one would, no one called me that. Like everyone would be still be like Fundament, Fundament. And uh, I never had any particular, like it was literally just a word that looked cool when I wrote it. Like that's what it's like in graffiti. You know what I mean? You just mm. like pick letters that f that form a cool word but i never cared for the word mm -hmm. and then there was this like book that came out that was called the river of fundament and it was like this big movie and it ha and i was like okay you know what scrap it was like it was like a big movie i think it like won like Cannes film festival or something like that river of fundament river of fundament that's it yeah. it was done what it was done the name was your name yeah and i was just fundament like and was i also hadn't put out any music like i was like i was i was working at the bar and i was trying to figure out my um what I was going to do next, like, you know, I really want, was working, hacking away at myself as, as, a, as a musician, just making music in my room, like, every day, like, you know, like, how it all started. And I don't know, really, I think it all started to click when I, when I brought more melodies in. You know, mm. Rap got more melodic, so everyone sort of started trying that more, and I, I never knew that I can sing. Like, I, yeah, like, I'm not, like... A crazy singer, I'm not like you know, Trey songs or something like that. But I, but I can sing, and uh, and so that was cool. And that changed, changed a lot. And da da da. And then just putting music up on SoundCloud, and um, really the the way that it all sort of came into a thing 
like into sort of a little bit next next of a stage in life was because a friend showed my stuff to Post Malone's manager Dre London, and Post had just started, um, you know, popping. The, well, not just started popping, but so he had, well, at this obviously. time you're making the more melodic music, or is this the fundamental music? No, that this he is like I'm like yeah, like I had songs out. I okay, didn't, I didn't. Fuck luck hadn't dropped yet. Okay, but I had like some songs out. Can't really remember what. What music have been out or not, but hmm. and this is as Tim North or Tim yeah, like Stewart? Tim, okay, like, yeah, okay. like I'd, okay. <clears throat> to me, it was never really a big deal. And then, yeah. like, I think that it's just like you know, I put like I made it north because it's just about Toronto. You know what I mean? Like, I've yeah. always been a super proud Torontonian, so I was just like, yo, like you know, that sounds dope. Make it Tim North. Let's just keep it moving. It hmm. was never like a wasn't like a heavy rebrand of any sort. I just yeah. sort of. And like I want, like I want to go by my real name, like Tim. You know what I yeah. mean? There's like a bazillion Tim Stewarts out yeah. there. So like, make it Tim North. Like it's cool. Yeah. And um, but like that was pretty much as much as much. So your friend showed your music to uh, Post Malone's manager. Yeah. This is the beginning. Post of had come Post here for CMW. He yeah. Did, he did. Um, he did uh, the Mob Club for CMW and. Um, and yeah, like people met up with with his manager and stuff like that, and I had just like friends that sort of knew him, and they sent my music to him, and one thing led to the next, and they wanted me to come out. I really mean it. Wish you the best. Look like you need it. Cause I'm keeping my head down. Feeling too stressed. I heard you got next now. my guy august rigo talks about how there's so many artists right now that are artists for the wrong reasons august rigo Mm-hmm. I find, I find, and I'm a bit of a purist in that sense. And you can do whatever you want, yeah. but you know, like, who am I to say that? But yeah, but you can do whatever you want. But I, you know, I like to have, you know, if I couldn't sing, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, if I wasn't like, if I looked at some of the people that I have, you know, that I've seen, like, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, but yo. Success is a crazy thing, man, and it comes to those. It, it comes to pe- comes to people when you least expect it. So you know, people, I gotta I either gotta capitalize and mm-hmm. or or they fall off. You know, I I think it would be. I think it's great that we have all the opportunities to to do the things we we are doing now. I just think that it because it's come so easy because of the internet. There's a there's a lack of work in the in the craft area, you know, because like you get popping so quickly, you don't get a, like you don't get a chance to kind of hone the craft. So you, sometimes the success comes a little too early, and then there's also a sense of entitlement when you get that popping off the off you know off some online stuff. Like I've met a lot of the kids, and I've met some of them that have gone, and I met some of them that have gone and then come down, and you you start to see like. Yo, it was just a little early for you, bro. You know, you didn't you didn't craft enough. You weren't you weren't ready. And that's cool. But I you know, there's there's a lot of artists that, you know, catch it, catch the wave and work on the craft and get better and you see. You know who's a good example of that? Sean 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 Mendez. Okay. Right? Sean Mendez had like a one poppin' song online and he was okay, like he was cool, but yo, I, I don't whatever he's doing is doing it right. Because I wasn't really a believer. But, you know, the last few songs, and I'm listening to his voice, and you know what? He was probably really talented, you know, and probably had a lot of, I mean, I'm sure he's really talented now. Um, and he, he was, you know, he's definitely grown from, you know, that Life of the Party song. I think that was the song that he had earlier till now. Like, you know, mm. he's taken it and ran with it. He's one of the biggest pop stars in the world. So kudos to him. Mm. Like, you know, so it does happen. Like, it does happen. But it is different. It is hard to compare, like, back then and now. True. But at least we don't have like, you know, the gatekeeper thing is 
You know what? I can't even say that because the gatekeeper thing is different now. Yeah. Now we have gatekeepers at Spotify. You know, have gatekeepers that you know that run playlists, Apple Music. You know, like there's there's all there's a whole bunch of things now that you have to get into. You know, mm. as a, you know, not just radio. My guy Shad, one of my favorite albums of 2018, a short story about war, and I love these conversations that we have about fear. Shad. Fear in our world right now, and I think the main thing you're exploring exploring with this album is fear. Yeah, and in what aspect though? Man, yeah. every aspect. Yeah. So, um, the main thing you know for me with fear in this album that I want to explore is on the very personal level. So, there's political undertones, overtones to the album, um, but really. Mm-hmm. To me, the album is about fear on the very personal level. I think we walk around with a lot of fear every day. I think when we walk down the street and we catch eyes with a stranger, we feel fear. When we wake up in the morning and we think about everything we need to do and how crazy busy our world is and all the responsibilities we have, we feel fear. I think we move with a lot of fear, and I think that that fear affects how we live. It affects how we approach other people. It affects how we treat other people. It affects how we make decisions um, about our work, about our finances, about our relationships, about our politics. Fear. Hmm. I think if we took a closer look at that fear, the other thing that I, the really, so really at bottom, what I want to explore with the fear is I think if we took a closer look at that fear, we would see that a lot of it, a lot of what we're afraid of is an illusion. It's not actually a real thing, a real threat. So I wonder what could happen if we could pause and look at that fear and see through it and see that it's not real. Um, A lot of it is not real. Some of it is real, but a lot of it is not real. But it gets us acting crazy. It's it's it, it, it it's kind of crazy actually of how it's in every element of our life. Yeah. Even if, you know, uh, when I was fourteen, fifteen years old, I yeah. wanted to be in radio. My yeah. parents are like, "Why? Why are you going into radio? Go do something more traditional or whatever." Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They had they want the best for me, but there's obviously a little bit of fear there naturally. Yeah. But I didn't listen and I kept going through, but. That's out of love. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. from a young kid. Yeah. Like, my life could have been affected in so many different ways, and that pressure is real, especially as immigrants. Mm-hmm. But that's in all different levels. And I'm trying to think of, like, wow, your fear is, it, it could also be subconscious or unconscious. That's it. That's it. And that's what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. Like, so much of it is unconscious. And so we don't really investigate it. Now, if we were to investigate it, we go, oh. Actually, it's not like a lot of times we go, actually, I don't need to be so worried. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah, it's it's unconscious. Like taking your example, your parents, you know, my parents, you know, same thing. Right. Like we want to make sure our kid can eat. Um, We're scared. Okay, but if you take a step back for a second, it's like, mom, what do you think? I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to starve myself. Right. Like we live in a country with a lot of opportunities and. You know, if if plan A doesn't work out, there's also plan B, C, D, E, and F through Z. That's a great thing about Canada. Where we come from, there's not option yeah. B through Z. Yeah. So that's where they're coming from. Yeah. But if they stopped and looked at the thing they're so afraid of, they'd be like, oh, actually, I should, I should tell this kid to, you know? Go for it. To go for it because, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, so, yeah, that's an example that kind of illustrates the thing I'm talking about. But it's in the back of their mind because of how they grew up. Mm. Yeah. On what elements, on what aspect did you have to deal with it personally? Yeah. Oh, man. Like, to me, it's, uh, it's a daily thing. So I can give an example of just waking up today. You know, I wake up. It's Monday. Uh, you know, I've been kind of laying low with my family over the weekend, so I haven't been doing, like, all my work. Okay, so what else? So I'm thinking of all the things I'm trying to plan. You know, okay, I got these shows coming up. When can I plan a rehearsal? Uh, um, I got this art show I'm trying to put together. Uh, I got to meet uh, with a curator about that. Um, 
uh, also haven't posted to my social media in a couple days. Like, uh, I got to figure out something to do for that. Uh, meanwhile, I'm worrying about all this time is, like, going by. But what am I really afraid of? It's like, okay, okay, okay calm down. Calm down. Figure out what you need to do. So that's, like, a, a bit of a mundane example. But it's still real. You know what I mean? Because... Because then my wife walks into the room and how am I going to behave to my wife if I'm feeling all this anxiety and fear? It's like, am I going to be as kind and compassionate towards her as I want to be? Well, no, mm-hmm. because I'm in, I'm in fight or flight mode. So that's like a small mundane example from my own life. But, you know, it, it illustrates the, the, the thing, the point, which is like fear. We carry a lot of fear with us. It affects how we treat each other. You, you blow that up. Um, to a bigger level and you get into politics and exactly where we at are at with a lot of our political conflict and military conflict. Like, it, it all, I feel like, starts with that same nugget of fear mm. that makes, and, and, uh, and a lot of it is irrational fear. Mm-hmm. And because there is a lot of fear, a lot of, like, uh, a lot of fear in the air, mm-hmm. you wanted to make an album that was a feel-good <laughs> album. My guy, Adario Williams from Grand Analog, one of my favorite people to talk about. He talked about how extreme emotions contribute to great music. Adario Williams. Oh, man. Well, there was, uh, oh, man, let me think now. There was yeah. one time, oh, we were out, I think it was, it was we were in Paris, completely, mm-hmm. completely out of money. And we had just enough to get on a train, get to Germany. I forgot what the next city would have been. Maybe it might have been Hamburg mm-hmm. uh, for the next show. <laughs> and the uh, the train guy, um, he didn't allow uh, uh, the ticket on the phone. You had to have a printout. Mm. And I'm like, bro, let me let me just show you. Like we this is this is twenty sixteen. Like there's there's a ticket on the phone here. Like I bought it. My name is on it. He looks at me, he goes, No printout, no train. I'm like, Okay, all right. Uh this guy's serious. So my brother's like, yo, I'll go find um uh, what do you have to do? I'll go find a, a print shop or something. Internet cafe. Or yeah, in, yeah, internet cafe. Yeah. My brother's gone running out onto the street trying to find an internet cafe. He uh, finally comes back uh, with a printout, and he said that he had gone. He found this um, African convenience store. And he went in and he asked the person who could barely speak English because they were African in Paris. So they were French and, you know, had their African background. He goes, I need a printout of my train tickets. And he goes, ah, okay, come with me. And he leads him to the back of the convenience store. And behind the, behind the door is an underworld of Africans back there on computers <laughs> talking on talking to their family members. Okay, and it was like this underworld back there. Are you going to say Nigerian scamming? It, it probably was. <laughs> I just didn't want to say it out loud. They, who knows what they were doing back there? But they were working it, uh, and they just. My brother's like, "Yo, I could barely afford to even get this this printout if you don't mind." And they're like, "You know, give the brother a printout, man. Just just print a few sheets for him. Give him his ticket, man. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Give it to him. He comes running back to the train station. By the time he gets back, train rolled out. We missed the train. Damn. Yeah, missed the train. He didn't get back in time. So I had like, we don't. I I we couldn't even afford another ticket." Because that ticket was gone. That ticket was gone. Yeah. So uh, I had... It's just funny how people can help you out when they really want to help you out, man. There was this uh, Paris MC who happened to be working for the train station, just sitting in the the platform having a cigarette. 
And he's not supposed to be doing that. But, you know, he, it's funny. He, he'd, like, untuck his shirt, which means he's on break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and have his cigarette. So I had to wait for him to tuck his shirt back in so I can ask him a question. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, uh, bro, I need your help, man. We got to get to Hamburg. I have a show in Hamburg tomorrow. I missed the train because I didn't have a printout. And to make a long story short, homie snuck us on, man. He figured it out. He he gave us these, like, mock tickets and got us on the train. And it's just funny, you know, things just can happen. One of my favorite guys, we supported this guy from day one. Go ask him. K-Forest talks about when he decided to go all in and pursue music. K-Forest. Uh, so, okay, like a lot of the people that listen to our, our podcast are creatives, mm. artists, f- f- producers, photographers, whatever. Right. Um, there must have been a point where you are, had to make the decision of like, yo, am I, I'm going to do this music thing full time or should I not do it or should I do school or should I get a job or whatever? Was there a point where like you had to like decide on like, I, I'm going to go all in on this, like professionally? Is there a point? Um, yeah. Are you all in? I, of course. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. you have to be. Yes. You know, I don't, like, I th- I believe, like, if I'm going to do something, I'm, I have to give, like, mm. 100,000, million percent. Yeah. yeah. So, but then there's also the risk of, like, when, you, when you're when you dedicating yourself all in, you may be saying no to other, th- you are saying no to a lot of things. Yeah. Right? You are. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was there like yeah like what was that decision making process like? Simple, like it was just real. It's like, do I want to do something more fulfilling, or do I just want to do whatever I'm told? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather do something that's more fulfilling. I'd rather take the risk. That's just mm. how I've always been. So it's better that way. I don't know. I I, I feel happier that way. Like, I don't feel like if I was to just go, like, like think of overthinking, be like, okay, I don't know I'm, if I, I might lose this or I might lose out on this job or what. I just say, no, nah, let's just do it. Mm. Why not? She remind me of that cocaine. Speaking Spanish, play Selena. Now she got a new demeanor. I stay searching for that federally. Cause my clicks click up with Sudanese and Somali. All the way from Haiti, I pass it to J.A. It's a good Friday, okay, I'm about to link with Diddy. You've been glowing, but I told you not to act like you got it. Cause they breathe just to see what you got in deposit. I can't leave without it. The moolah off the counter, I've been about it, I've been about it. So don't act like you got it, I feel it. She got everything, but she bang one of those. Just John talks about running at your own pace. Just John. Keywords there, a focus and discipline mm-hmm. uh, because w- we can get frustrated or discouraged when we see, you know, other people who are achieving success and we think it's done really fast. Or you may think like, hey, I, I'm better than them. How do you uh, navigate through the, through those things? Do you have thoughts like that at all or no? Um, I think like any any anybody has those thoughts, you know what I mean? I think like just because we're human beings and you know what I mean? I think like um a part of that process is like there's a lot of destructive thinking that I think happens when it comes to social media, you know, it's like whether it's FOMO, you know, like oh man, I'm not at that show or it's like oh man, like that cat's at this point, but you know, maybe I should be I sh- I should be at this point, I should be further ahead and you know, you kind of like you're kind of like jabbing at yourself constantly. And um, I think like how to navigate through that is understanding, at least I tell myself all the time, it's like run your own race, you know, run your own race, um, uh, carve your own path, you know. And I think like when you run your own pace, you create your own lane. When you create your own lane, you create your own um, kind of uh, space to kind of contribute to the conversation. When I look at culture, I look at culture as like a conversation. You know, I look at like there's different people at the table that are contributing, you know, their own light or their own truth, you know, whether it's like, you know, a Virgil or, you know, it's um, all sorts of different kinds of designers, you know what I mean, that are adding different things to whatever their culture is. And I think like that's the best way to look at it. It's like, you know, what can I, what am I doing? And focusing on that and understanding that your time 
comes at its own natural pace. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to like, you know, you looking at what that person is doing is not going to like change your situation um, any faster or shorter. It's really, it's really a matter of like you um, honing your skills and, you know, creating your own luck. Creating your own luck is like working your butt off and like kind of mixing that in with opportunity and taking opportunity, like not being afraid of opportunity. Even if it's sometimes it's going to be like, damn, like I got to be in New York like next week and I don't got money, like taking that risk, like being like, you know, forget it. Like I'm going to do it. Like, you know what I mean? And I, I've, I've seen just from my own personal experiences, whenever I've taken those like gut wrenching, like scary jumps that, you know, I was rewarded um, in a different way or I've kind of advanced myself to now look at the world in a different light because I accepted the the things that were coming to me but it's very like you know also like the come up it's or just life in general it's about duality you know what i mean it's really about like you know not everything is gonna be good you know what i mean and like the real learning happens in like those ugly times you know those the failures you know what i mean the the struggles the obstacles um i would say like personally the stuff that i went through it really shaped like who just John as an artist is today. You know what I mean? If I didn't go through, you know, um, running uh, art space, you know what I mean, for two years, you know, if I didn't go through the struggles of navigating that, um, learning how to run a business, um, navigating, like, the, the elements of, like, you know, gentrification and being pushed out by, you know, by uh, a noisy neighbor and, like, that challenge or, you know, dealing with police brutality, you know, or... Um, I wouldn't be the kind of artist I am today. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't have had those experiences or 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 and and um those those life lessons, you know what I mean, of who I am today. And a lot of people, you know, that listen to my music, they know that like what I'm saying is true. You know what I mean? They know, wow, you went through that. Wow. Like and it's and there's other people that have gone through it. There's so many people that have gone through it and like making yourself vulnerable just makes you really relatable you know what I mean and like I think that's super super important and I've kind of like really highlighted you know or just analyzed those those moments where I felt very vulnerable and maybe I felt like I was at my lowest end but it really kind of like activated the next highest point that I was going to come into and um yeah so like really duality and feeling out the universe I think is super super key. Mm. G Miller talks about the low points and frustrations that he's dealt with as an artist G Miller Seriously. There's, when you're having, say, those life things, right? Mm. Sleeping on couches or mm-hmm. breaking up with a, with a partner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the music thing on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it sometimes a source of frustration or is it like help? Because you're like, oh, man, like, oh, fuck. I'm sleeping on couches and this music shit ain't paying right now. Fuck. And that's the thing. <laughs> Even if it wasn't paying, yeah. I still do it. Right. Because it's just it's it's not even it's a it's my diary. Like, you know, it's like it's like my journal. Like I really rap how I feel, you know. So with that being the thing, it's never about like a chore or making money or like getting rich. Like I'm just like, damn, I'm feeling sad. I need to go to the studio. You know, like that's that's actually how I feel. Like I don't I don't think about the money at all. Hmm. Yo, Mishimi called into our radio show earlier this year to talk with Michael, our, our host of the radio show. And if you don't know, yo, Mishimi was the first Canadian MC to sign with a major American label. She talks about how hip-hop is maturing and it's about damn time. Mishimi. What it is, you just got to work harder. What do you think one of the biggest kind of challenges an artist might face right now? With like, since there are so many artists, like what, what do you, when you look at somebody doing music, what separates them from the pack? Finances yeah. to compete. Yeah. Finances. Yeah. It's yeah. always going to be a factor. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's marketing is a, you can only do so much on social media. Mm-hmm. You can only do so much through a link. I mean, every blogger won't blog you. Every interviewer won't interview you. And that's okay, too. But yeah. it's just the finances of being able to market yourself. Hiring, um, you know, a publicist to help out. Having people that can help you. Bartering away. Mm-hmm. and doing what you do. I think we all know how to do it. Like, I think too many people <laughs> know how to do it now. That, because yeah. the ones that really make it, yeah, I mean, the, the the majors, the people that really have the money will market the crap out of 
yeah. any independent that just wants to do it for the love, right? So mm-hmm. our finances will always separate people from the pack. But if you're not doing it for that, there's still there's still a place for you in this business. It's a whole different ballgame now. And I've seen the hip-hop um, game turn in, turn into and take on some of the, the factors that reggae single had to do mm-hmm. from jump. It's now almost a way, a way of lifestyle, one single at a time, and so forth, and hanging out, you know, material. It's yeah. the same way. They've been doing it in dancehall and reggae for a long time, and now it's a template for the scene and releasing music. Yeah, it is. It is crazy how you say it's one single at a time now, because I feel like like before we were just getting full albums, like full bodies of work, but now people can just kind of ride singles for, for yeah, for a one album for two years. Yeah, and it used to be so structured like that, and you know, here there was a plethora of reggae artists. They would just do cover songs, one single at a time, mm-hmm. and come up so that just seeing that transition and that those similarities into how we do things now, mm-hmm. it it makes it even almost easier for an old school artist to come out. If you know the rules, and if you have a little reggae background, you definitely know what to do. Yeah. And then that comes into the marketing yeah. and getting into the other world, which you, you know can be a hindrance too. So it's a catch twenty two, but it is business music. But there is room for so much talent, mm-hmm. and and from different generations too. We're the new jazz, so hip hop is definitely maturing, and it's about time. Maestro Fresh West. So that's that's always I guess been because you know how now even like hip hop is a uh, a youthful genre obviously a young man's game, uh, and you know sometimes uh, you know nowadays uh, you know the new fans or new artists may discount or dismiss our 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 OGs. Yeah. Our, uh, so did that ex- is, did that exist since then? Is that oh, is that yeah. the same type of energy? Hell yeah. Yeah. I was considered OG. You got to remember, that's way before the Cardinal uh, was on the scene. Or mm. Way before, like, Ghetto Concept and those guys were on the scene or anything like that. I was considered, mm. you know. Yeah, it was, it's always, I've always had that issue right there, you know, because I, I had um, exposure. I mean, we're in Ryerson right now. That's where I started, man, 88.1 FM. Mm. You know, Ron Nelson, 1982, 83, around those times like that. So by the time 87 rolled around the corner, mm-hmm. it was a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just glad I was able to persevere. Uh, I was glad I was able to evolve and, and transcend into different things. Yeah. But, um, yeah. How know. how important was Ron Nelson? Ron Is Nelson, Ron Nelson? Was, he's like the, he was the dude. I was 15. He put me on radio for the first time. He he was the one who created that forum right there. Um, that's the dude who put me on like that. Like everybody else, like no disrespect, but I can't really, nobody like broke my career. Like any of these DJs, they'll tell you. they Mastermind was a kid. Um, DJ X was a kid. Power was a kid. Starting from scratch wasn't even in Toronto at the time. Um, Ron Nelson was the dude. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was the guy, you know? And he helped me out from from 15 to, like, he. it was changing in the guard. He left CKLN, I think, 89 mm-hmm. is when he left. And that's when things changed. It was a d- different shift altogether where I was considered commercial. <laughs> so I never had a chance to, to be that dude. It was like, because when Ron left C- CKLN, it was like DJ X and that squad, that era coming through. And, you know, you got to remember a lot of times in Toronto, cats had a hard time accepting success on any level. From you what know? perspective? Um, mainstream. Everything had to be underground. But here I am coming out, and nobody had a reference point of how to treat a, a gold selling artists like how do you do it like <laughs> this is Toronto a, a Canadian gold selling gold artist. selling artist they know how to do that like how like you know everyone thinks they're just as good or better why me you know say if it's luck if it's this if it's that but you know I'm, you know a lot of people just weren't ready I was that guy at the time mm. you know so um, you know that was challenging too at that but you know like there's a saying I got extraordinary people will always have extraordinary challenges and I like to think of myself as an extraordinary person like when you see how I've evolved and things that I've done and you know like I said 2019 mm-hmm. will be the 30 year anniversary of Let Your Back Most Live which is the first single from a Canadian hip hop artist to go gold first one to be on, on Billboard um, you know from the first album that went platinum in Canada you know mm-hmm. now it's like nothing the kids growing up now they're, in Toronto, especially, they're growing up in an era of entitlement. You know, we we grew up in the era of of being an underdog, like a true underdog, like you know, with with, with an inferiority complex because we're so close to like New York. You know what I mean? But now it's like you know, imagine kids growing up now in Toronto's at the top of the global food chain. It's a whole different um, city. 
Mm. That's why when a man them say, like, it's new Toronto, it's really new Toronto. Quake Matthews is one of those artists who have had on like five times on the Come Up Show podcast. He talked about a time when he quit his job at Scotiabank to pursue music full time. Quake Matthews. The summer? September 21st. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, um, I think a few years ago when I interviewed you, I think it was like during like King of the Dot weekend or something like that. You were in a hotel room. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, I think I wanted to get like an update or whatever. I believe that you were, were you working at a bank or something like that? Scotiabank or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, that would, I would have been working there at that time. And yeah. uh, yo, they, uh, I think I wasn't technically fired, but they were like, you should go chase your dream because uh, yeah, 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 because like what a nice way to say yeah, because like yo, when I um, there was one week I was just in the studio late, late, and I slept in for two days like in a like in a week, so I missed two days. I'm like oh shit, like waking up missed two days of work, missed two days in one week, and, and and they were like, I've been there six years. They're like, what are we doing with this? Are you going to go at this full time? And it was basically like, do you want us to do the whole thing and say you're fired? Or do you want to go chase your dream? And it was like, basically, we agreed that I'm going to go chase my dream. So it wasn't, you know what I mean? And I feel like they kept my leaving like low key. Because usually you get like the pizza party and all that shit. I got none of that shit. So I feel like there was like, maybe on paper I was fired, but they told me to my face like, you think you should go chase your dream? You know what I mean? So I don't know how that went. But yeah, I've never I've never looked back since. And I've been doing this music full time since. And so uh, and I think that was a blessing. Me sleeping in was a blessing because I think that you have to go all in on whatever your whatever your belief is. And I, I don't think you can half ass anything. You know what I mean? So uh, I think it's a blessing, to be mm. honest. So that's been a what, two or three years? Probably three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Okay, dope. Whoa. Devante is an artist producer from Toronto. He's also related to Aisha Curry, first cousin to Aisha Curry, who's the wife of Steph Curry, NBA superstar. And he recorded his album at Kevin Durant's house. He talked about on how he dealt with depression. Devante. So I guess what I've been ta- uh, what I want to know is like throughout this whole process over the few years, what has been like the most challenging points for you, Devante, as an as an artist? The most challenging points. Yeah, ch- challenging points, low points, frustration, and like, you know, you know, just... <sighs> There's two things. Like, okay. first is um, is figuring out how to obtain what you want. Like, figuring out the steps it takes to reach a goal that you set. So, you know, for instance, my goal was to have videos, like high-quality videos out on different blogs, like different pl- songs on different playlists, things like that, you know, because... 2018 so figuring out different publicists that could find you know how to get their songs on playlists how to build my fan base um so those are like different challenges Mm -hmm. and i think another thing is just like you know finding the the patience you know and just being you know in love with the process of creating the work and not focusing on all of the like just thinking okay i'm gonna have one hit and that's gonna be it like just enjoying the process every day like this is what I, i get to wake up and do what I love to do. I got to make music, you know, like, it's a blessing. Mm. Yeah. So you said that was the one challenge though, right? Yeah, I what, feel like. What's the other one? Or others? Just like, just moving like the way you, I don't know, like, the challenge is just finding the energy you need to just keep going. Like, that's a challenge, you know? Well, yeah, like how, how long was it for this between, like between District Vibes and Head Gone was what? Three, two years. Two years, that's it? Yeah, two years. But in this day and age, two years can seem like long forever, time. right? For sure. That's a mad long time. Yeah. Um, the challenge for me for that actually was to find an engineer to, to get it to, to be mixed and mastered the way that I wanted it. Like, like going back to, to finding the steps it takes to, to, to reach that goal. So, like, you know, my goal was to have it professionally mixed where I can play it and it would be better than my district vibe. It would sound sonically better than that. It would compete with, like, you know, the Drakes, the Travis Scotts, Kendricks, J. Coles, all that sonically, you know, to play at any time. So, like, those are challenges. And it took me about two years to find the engineer, you know, until that, until that day. It's I a long time. Went to Kevin Durant's house and then I was blessed, you know, so. Mm. Like the patience, you know, just the, the patience and the, the fight to just keep going while you have to wait, you know, 
you know, it's not waiting, like, don't wait for anything. Like, you can't just sit down and wait. But, like, the patience, you know, to keep working where it, where it seems like nothing is working. Is that frustrating in terms of knowing what you're capable of and what the vision is and not being there yet? It's frustrating, yeah. It's frustrating, but um, it's rewarding. Like, it's frustrating, but the rewards are rewarding. So when you do, like, the moments where you do have a successful event, the Jordan store, where you're like, how it, how is this even possible, where you have it sold out and you have, like, you know, some of the biggest people in the music industry, not only just in Toronto, but from around the world there, like, it's like, oh, like, two days ago I didn't know I was going to do this and now I did it. Like, you know, so all that time that you're stressed out about not knowing how it's going to work and then there's, like, you have moments, you know, you have moments that you feel really low and those are the moments that, like, help you get high and you have moments where you're high and then when you get low you don't like how that drop felt so mm. you know it's just like that learning how to ride the wave and then just balance it and try to figure out ways to keep the the positives up you know and the negatives down what's your song overthinking about just me in my mind and just being a 25 year old man from toronto and just you know like having the patience and you know fighting patience and fighting you know different thoughts in your head you know from different emotions being high sometimes and like on weed you know and having it affect you and you, know, you start thinking differently and you don't know if you're paranoid or if it's true you know your instincts like there's all these different things you know just being a human being just fighting all of these different depression these demons in your mind and like you know something that I never thought about until I experienced it and like I always heard people talk about depression all that and I'm like what like what mm. like just you know but what were like because some people with depression maybe they can't get out of bed or whatever yeah. what were the symptoms that you were experiencing yeah those are like some of them you don't have the energy to go do what you need to do like you just want to just keep sitting down you know and like alright I'm gonna just just watch movies today or you know and or I'm just gonna I don't know like just things like that like overcoming those things and just like actually feeling like trapped in your mind feeling alone like feeling like no one around you is like you and no one out, you know, realizing that no one can help you in life except for you, like just taking responsibilities. I don't know. Mm. When you were going through those, that, yeah, that time, were you like, "What's wrong with me?" or or were you asking questions like that? Or yeah, no? for sure. Yeah, definitely. I thought, you know, I stopped smoking and didn't know if it was the weed while I have anxiety. Like, yeah, you know, there's different things. You know, all these different stresses of different things that are going on in my life, mentally, just things that I had to just. Take a deep breath and figure out myself and learn myself and, you know, learn why my body does certain things, why my mind is triggered to certain things. You know, just learning my thing, you know, and, and being able to understand when I get a, a sense of, you know, anxiety. I, sometimes it's just me getting anxious and, like, not knowing how to deal with that. Mm. And, you know, then you just start, like, overthinking. So it's just all balanced. Were you able to ident even identify if you're going through anxiety? Did you even know, like, oh, okay, this is anxiety? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had. That's what I had to learn. Like these are things I had to learn. And be like, all right, cool. Like I'll just say a prayer. Like I say, Master, hear the Jesus. Please take away this anxiety from me. And, hmm. You know, just go for a walk, or something. Go meditate, read. Just hmm. find different things that, like, obviously my body and my mind weren't coexisting well together. So I had to figure out things that I was doing to improve that. You know, so I started feeling better. And just if you don't, if you don't feel like you know, depression, and all that stuff is like something that does happen to people, but just not like a day that's just gonna stop. Like you have to figure out ways to trick your mind or or, or battle your battle it. You know, and fight it and overcome it and kill it. So those are ways, you know. Mm. Maybe going to work out, maybe going for a jog, going to meditate, going to church, going sometimes go to eat freaking ice cream and donuts. Some people want to just wake up and just eat bad food, and that's a depression. Some people, you know, some people want to not eat. Some people, all that. But it's just figuring out and accepting, accepting that thing that gets you sad and like that you feel like is beating you, and just like grab that shit and choke it out and kill it, and you know, just overcome it. Dope. Um... I, I really like the, the point that you made. It's not like depression is just over and it's never going to come back or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just the daily things that you do. Yeah. And tricking your mind. Yeah, our minds are crazy, bro. Yeah, we got to learn how to control them. It's like just learning, you know? Yeah. It's like learning how to ride a bike. Like you got to learn. There's just just life is, I think, growth of learning. Like you got to learn how to use everything. Mm -hmm. Got to learn how to be a better producer, learn how to be a better, you know, interviewer, learn how to be a better photographer. So I got to learn how to use my mind more. Hmm. Unlock it more. Unlock it more. Uh, That's the whole working on excellence, you know? It's like, 
like we said, we're not perfect. We're not the best we can be, but it's just working to be that and accepting, you know, our, our, our weaknesses and everything and turning those into strength. And turn it into your strengths. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. One of my guy, 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 guys, J.D. Era, Era. He talked about how the Raekwon situation and he talks about how he see music, man. The guy who's been in the music game for over 10 years. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a failure. You know what I mean? I think if you're a new artist and your goal is to be independent, then learn as much as you can from other great people that are independent. You know what I'm saying? And like for me, um, Raekwon was one of them. Mad Child's one of them. You know what I mean? Stack the Ripper's one of them. There's a lot of independent guys that I've... You know, Onyx is 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 another like big group that like I I've always stayed close to. You know what I mean? Those are the homies. Where it's like, you know, if that's what you're trying to hone your craft in, then really stick to those guys and watch what they do. You know what I mean? And 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 you can't be afraid to put up your own bread. You know what I mean? Like that's probably the biggest thing I could tell any independent artist, any independent Canadian artist. Like, don't be afraid to put up your own bag to do things because people respect you like so much more when you're not the guy that's like, yo. I'm waiting on this grant or yo, I'm waiting on so-and-so to pay so-and-so. You know what I mean? Like if you just come and you're like, yo, listen, this is my budget. It may not be what you usually get. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. this is what I got. You know what I mean? What can you do for this? I, I feel like people respect that so much more, you know, going along the way. And like, that's one of those things that I, I had to learn. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we had always played this game from a perspective of, okay, yo, let's get this bag from the government or whatever grant thing it is. You know, a lot of a lot of rappers play that game. You know what I mean? I think I had to get out of that. You know what I mean? I, I literally had to... Kind of shackle us. So, yeah, or, it, yeah. It really, you know, as much as the, the grant system is amazing and every American hears about it and their eyes light up and they're, you know what I mean? They're like mind blown when they hear it. It like, it hinders a lot of Canadian artists. You know what I mean? Like I wish... I wish a lot of artists didn't ever hear about the grant thing, you know what I mean? Because it would force a different type of grind, you know what I mean? Um, Creativity. Uh, yeah, it just forces it forces you to have to do, you know, if you don't have the budget, it'll force you to do things to get it out there, you know what I mean? And and I think um, it, it forces you to put up your own bag in some sort of, of sense, you know what I mean? Whether it's 500 or or $1,000 for whatever little thing, the mixing and the whatever, you got to put up your own bread, you know what I mean? There's no, yo, I'm going to give you 2500 for this demo grant and... Go figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, nah, you got to put up your own money and lose your own money and, and you know, and pay the this marketing guy that ran off with your money. And, you know, you got to go through the ups and downs of that to really appreciate it. You know what I mean? When a, a bag comes around, you know? So mm. I think that's what I'd say. I'd say put up your own bag if you're an independent artist, man. Don't be scared. At the end of the day, because you're, you're just... You're so much invested when you put your money up, but just the psychology thing. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, for for us from day one, like I've always put up my own bag. Like, don't get it, don't get it twisted when I talk about grants and like the mindset. You know, what I mean, I just think that um, there was also a, a large like part of Canadian artists where we had this cushion, this like Canadian grant cushion in our minds. You know, what I mean, where we're like, you know, like. Yeah, I would put up this bread, but I might get this grant that I got to wait a month to find out if they're going to give it to me. And then if they give it to me, I got to deal with the budgets. But, oh, the director's in charge of X and O. And you know what I mean? Like, it just, it turns into a whole shit show, you know? So just, um, yeah, put up your bag, man. Well, this is one of those classic, classic interviews that people are going to listen to from years from now. Gavin Shepard, if you know, you know, let's go. Gavin Shepard. You know? Yeah. In a different way. Well, you're in a position to, to amplify records because he started a record label. Yeah. Called Public Records. Indeed. In uh, partnership with Universal Music Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me about that. What, what, why was it important to do this now? Uh, for me, it was, again, it was about infrastructure. It was the same reason why we built the Remix Project. You know, it was about understanding that the talent is not the problem in Toronto. You know? The talent exists. It's under every rock. You lift it up. There's talent. There's incredibly gifted and people. People may think that we the talent that came now, like they think yeah, it's like talent we just was started, discovered after Drake or something. Yeah, like people just <laughs> decided to start rapping up here. People have been arguably hip hop came here before it went to L.A. or Atlanta. You know what I mean? Toronto and New York are very, very close. It's an hour flight. It's a how many hour drive. Yeah. You got families from the 70s and 80s up here in Rex, in Jane and Finch, in Malvern in Regent Park, that were going to New York, that kids were getting sent to New York for the summer to go stay with their aunties and uncles and whatnot. We're bringing back Red Alert mixtapes, Africa Bombada mixtapes Yeah. from early. The culture's been here early. The distribution was different. It's mm -hmm. hard for the younger cats to understand because the internet has just always been there. But imagine no internet whatsoever, period. 
That means your music gets out only through the radio or physical hand-to-hand CDs, which means who's printing that CD? Who's getting it across the American border and then putting it in a warehouse and then shipping it to Sunrise and making sure it's on the front shelf of Sunrise? That's a real thing. You couldn't get music out. That's different. It's just different. Hmm. You know what I mean? It just changed completely. Hmm. So it's just, you know, the realities that folks are, are now contending with, there's a lot of the similarities, you know what I mean, and whatnot, but the, the reality is is that now we can get our thoughts out. And I think that people are just realizing and recognizing that, oh, man, talent has always existed in Toronto. You know, it's not, again, it's not a new thing. The culture is old. It's rich here, you know. It's just becoming new to the rest of the world. And what's exciting to the rest of the world right now, again, going back to the human condition, is all of us do the same stuff. Again, we're all going through, whether it's relationship issues, personal stuff, work stuff, uh, wanting to grind and win, whether all these, you know, like the dramas that folks go through, the human condition is the human condition. The thing is, we do it a little different. We say stuff a little different. Our slang is a little different. So for New York, when hip-hop started, like... There's an OG named Sean C, Sean C and LV. He's a legend in New York. And he said this stuff to me that I thought was really smart. And he was like, man, when rap music first came out, New York is like also an alien city in America. New York is not indicative of what the rest of America is like, right? It is its own thing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, when we came out, we was aliens, you know, like we was aliens. We was talking a certain way. We dressed a certain way. Grimy guys. We have tall buildings, people stacked on top of each other. That's not like the rest of America. You know, but we had this whole reality. And then after a while, he's like, the West Coast guys got into it and they added some melody to it. He's like, we didn't have no melody. That was our problem. Once they realized they could add some melodies, like, and then the attention started to go this way and people, whatever. But also we were really just interested in what they were doing because first people were looking at us like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then we were like, oh, so y'all into the same stuff that we into, but you do it a little different. So what's that? And then it was the South. And it was like, oh, the slang's a little different. Or you eat the food, but like just like this instead. Or you still sell dope, but this is the way y'all move X, Y, Z in the situation and blah, blah, blah. And you talking about codes and whatnot and all these things are popping up. And just, again, the human condition is the human condition, but it's just done a little different. And so now we had this moment for the last few years where people finally were like, oh, real talent's there. We're going to be open to that concept and to that idea. You know, and then they got really interested in like, well, what is the Toronto culture? And for so long, we had our own identity crisis. So we were trying to figure it out. And in the last few years, we've stepped into ourselves and stepped into our own. And people are really interested in that. So now it's that little bit different of what we do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And you seeing our slang starting to take over America and starting to find itself across the world. You know, you're seeing our uh, fashion labels taking off. You're seeing all these types of realities now from Toronto culture going out and Eventually, people will be into a new kind of space, and it doesn't mean that we'll go away. And that was the reason why we started Public Records in a lot of ways, and Quiet is Kept, which is the management company and agency that we started as well, right, with E1, was because we need infrastructure to make sure that this is not just a moment and that we've created an industry, right? So it's all good if the next flavor of the month is some other city in some other country. That's fine. As long as we did the due diligence to create an industry to make sure there's enough working recording studios so that there always will be a place for producers to chat, to come to to try to make it, for artists to come to to try to make it. And then the best of the best will find distribution, find some monetary support, hopefully, you know, and be able to get connected into the right things to go. Mm-hmm. But if we don't create the physical infrastructure of studio systems of distribution systems, then again, it's just a cultural moment as opposed to creating that industry. Exactly. Because we we have the leverage, we have the attention. And when we have that leverage and and people are paying attention, we need to capitalize with with partners, corporations, the people who can fund it uh, to make sure, yeah, it's not only it's not a, only a moment and that uh, we don't have a brain drain and everybody's going to L.A. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's right? one thing that yeah. I think we can really credit the OVO movement for, which is making the decision to stay in Toronto and to create a base in Toronto and to hire Toronto creatives nine times out of ten. That heretofore was un, was not done because there's just too much pressure to go and assimilate, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something I think that we can give a lot of credit for. And uh, other folks are now doing that and also deserve credit for doing that. 
But I think that they like really helped turn the tide in that regard. Hmm. You know? Yeah, very important. So uh, they were unabashedly the, some of the first ones to really put Toronto on their back. You know, Cardinal as well, of course, Shockler as well. You yeah. know, some of the early cats. I'm not discounting any of the folks that did that work at all. Yeah. But in, in an international space, you know, that was the reality. And then when the call was, "We'll come live here in La La Land," and all the reasons why you should was like, yeah, we'll set up an embassy. Yeah. But we're Toronto kids. But we're Toronto kids. You know, and there's yeah. a and we have the privilege of growing up in a generation where we have different distribution, where we don't have to have people in those cities physically beating down the doors, making sure CDs are stocked and all that. So we also have a different type of reality to contend with too. And that should be understood and and also like recognized, you know? Mm. Which is, but it's an advantage. It's as, a, a, as an advantage, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. Like, you know, absolutely 100% is. Yeah. So I, by no means am I, again, am I trying to, like, disrespect folks, generations that came prior. It's yeah. like there's reasons, very systemic reasons why, you know, they were not having as great a success maybe mm. on a global level as mm. some of the folks that are having it today. I hope you enjoyed Part two of the best of 2018 of the Come Up Show podcast. And overall, I really appreciate putting these together. I hope you do too. We look back on the year and all that we have accomplished in 2018 and over a year to reflect, to take a moment. And I'm really excited for what 2019 is going to bring, man. There's a lot of ideas that I have in my head and I would love to share with you. And I'm going to need your feedback and I'm going to need your input on where we take this. And I also wanted to say these are this These podcasts, these episodes, part one and part two of the best of 2018 is the best entry point, is the best links, two links you could share with whoever you think may be interested in this. Tell them, yo, check out the Come Up Show. This is the best of. These are all their conversations in one. I think they are a great recap of what we do here at the Come Up Show podcast, and I would appreciate that. It's your boy, Chetto. We'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. All right, peace. Peace.